Hello and welcome back to the Bear Facts, the LA Times podcast for all things UCLA sports. I'm Jesse Doherty, filling in for Lindsay Theory with UCLA beat writer Ben Bolch. Ben, how you doing? Good. And can I go off topic to start? You can, hey, hey, you can do it. You can do whatever you need to do. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I suggested that the uh, Rams podcast be called the Ramshackle podcast, and I was laughed at. I think after twenty eight to nothing, that's looking like a pretty good name for that <laughs> podcast. So I think I think some people owe me an apology. Well, it's interesting. I, I listened back to last week to kind of study Lindsay's you know, tendencies. I'm a little nervous about it. big shoes to fill, but I noticed we we agree on this. This is the best named LA Times Sports Podcast. Yes, yes. because the tro it's U, it's USC overtime and Rams overtime. I suggested for U, for USC to be tracking the Trojans. What do, you, what do you think? What do you think of that? Uh, one? Much better than than USC overtime, which sounds like a template that somebody came up with in an office and is now applying it to every podcast yeah. uh, under the sun at the LA Times. So that's good. I like that. Yeah. So I I thought you know tracking sound with soundtrack and Trojans. So Lindsay Zach, when you listen to this, you know Ben's on my side because they laughed at me when I when uh, I brought that one up. So we'll be looking ahead to UCLA's game this weekend at BYU, seven fifteen in Provo. But first, let's look back to the to the win against UNLV this past week. Ben, you've kind of had a chance to digest it in a few days now. What do you think of the UCLA we saw in that game? You know, that was a game that I thought they would win a little bit more easily. I mean, you look at the score, it was 42-21, to 21, but really that doesn't say much about what happened in that game. It was a one-touchdown game going into the fourth quarter. UNLV had the ball and some momentum and was driving and was really running the ball down UCLA's throats. Um, you do have to give UCLA credit for kind of putting the clamps down at that point and pulling away. But I think overall, it was not a strong game um, that, leave, that left UCLA fans feeling good about where this team is right now. They have lots of lots of issues. There were a bunch of drops. The run defense has, has kind of stunk for two games now. So, um, you know, the scoreboard was kind of deceiving there and lots of issues to address uh, going forward. You mentioned the drop passes, and that really stuck out to me the most, even if Jim Mora said he didn't notice them <laughs> until his film review. Yeah, you know, I, I talked to him after, or I should say, um, after our scrum on Monday, and he said he counted four drops. Um, and he said he counts anything as a drop, anything that, that touches a receiver's hand. So they're, they're pretty stringent on what they uh, consider a drop. I think they may have had more than four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember maybe five or six, but... Um, you know, it's definitely an issue that, that was a talking point all week in practice. Our, uh, receivers coach Eric Yarber um, calls, uh, says his receivers have to be nerds is the word he uses because they need to track the ball all the way in uh, to secure it and to really be detail-oriented. Uh, I guess that's what he thinks of a nerd, being detail-oriented, <laughs> which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, so, so UCLA wants to bring the nerd patrol to Provo this week to kind of rectify um, this drop situation that's been an ongoing issue for two games. And it doesn't seem like there's been one guy to emerge yet that really is Josh Rosen's favorite guy. Ishmael Adams was better week two, but do you think, I mean, do you have a prediction or do, have you seen someone emerge either in practice or in games that is going to be his top target moving forward? You know, it, you always are a little bit hesitant to put things on a freshman, but I, I think Theo Howard has the most natural talent uh, of this group uh, I've been hearing that from day one. I've seen it with his route running. He just looks like a receiver. He just looks natural. Um, you know, he didn't really get any playing time against Texas A&M, which surprised me. He had his first catch um, against UNLV last week. I think he's a guy that's going to develop. Obviously, we've seen Kenny Walker, the speed there. He, he kind of reverted a little bit to the case of the drops uh, last week after I had uh, – 
written about how he had gotten over the drops. Yeah, which, the, uh, the receivers are going to be avoiding you now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I jinxed them. But, uh, you know, I, I, 14 different players caught passes for UCLA, which makes them tough to scout. But, you know, as you alluded to, they do need somebody to kind of step up and be that go-to guy. Jordan Lasley had a nice game with three catches. Ishmael Adams, four catches. Most of them were kind of on the short side. Um, you know, Eldridge Massington's got the size. Uh, one guy who kind of fell off the radar for a little bit after a big first game was Austin Roberts, who mm-hmm. looked like he was going to be a big target. So I think we're going to see some inconsistency uh, there for a little while. But, you know, UCLA really needs like two or three guys to emerge as the go-to guys, I would say, um, you know, by midseason t- to really be good. And it seemed in general the tight end position really fell off against UNLV all around. It, it really wasn't a factor. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. You know, Jim Moore had talked about Nate Essie being basically demoted after the first game. And then mm-hmm. there he was starting again uh, against UNLV. He only had one catch, but you know, he was kind of back in the mix. So don't really know what to make of, of the tight ends yet uh, for UCLA. They definitely want to step up and, and be a little bit more productive. So if Jim Morris says a tight end's demoted, he probably is going to start the next week. Yes, that's the tip-off. Yes, that's the tip-off. So before we move on to BYU preview, there was a kind of a cool nugget from the last game. Uh, Gio Shojima, am I saying that right? I think that's pretty close. Uh, is believed to be the first Japanese-born player to appear in an FBS game. He came on at the end. You talked to him yesterday. You have a story running in tomorrow's paper, right, Friday's Friday. paper, uh, on him. So what, what did you learn talking to him? You know, he's he's a really kind of humble, uh, cool guy to talk to. He, he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Uh, he says, you know, he doesn't really focus on the race or the nationality. He just wants to play football and be out there with, with his teammates. Uh, but his backstory is interesting. He, he came to the U.S. when he was nine. His, his dad wanted to come over here and start a consulting business. Um, he didn't play football until he was a freshman at Redondo High. He'd, he said he would, had done swimming and some martial arts uh, growing up. But, uh, you know, didn't really make a huge impact at the high school level. Didn't have any college scholarships coming out of Redondo. Went back to Japan for a year. Uh, went to Santa Monica College for two years and played football. And then was contacted to be a preferred walk-on at UCLA. So it's kind of a cool story. You know, he's the second or third string center. He'll get in some games at the end of blowouts. And, you know, maybe if there's an injury or two, um, you know, we'll, get, we'll play more. But kind of, kind of a neat little, uh, as you said, nugget uh, f- for that game. Um, to, to see that happen. So if he's to play against BYU, that would mean UCLA would hope it would be on the right side of a blowout, yes. not the wrong side. Uh, yes. So heading into that one, there's some injuries on the defensive line that have kind of been lingering. Uh, Takaris McKinley, Eddie Vanderdose, what's the update as of now on those guys heading into the weekend? Yeah, they practiced uh, yesterday, which was uh, the last day that media were allowed to attend part of practice and talk to people. And uh, Jim Moore described them as good um, which to me meant that, you know, barring some kind of setback, they should be able to play against BYU. And that's a huge deal because, as we've seen, UCLA really has struggled to stop the run these first two games. You know, Takaris McKinley will, will be more press, putting pressure on the quarterback, but Vanderdose, um, you know, they need him to stop the run. They would really, really miss him. So um, having him back is – they. they they could not improve on that. I think they've allowed five yards per carry to both teams they've played mm. through the first two games, which is just really, really bad, but considering that they're not even known as rushing teams, and, and BYU is. So um, that's going to be, that's gonna be the, the challenge this week is to kind of step up there and make some improvement. And before we move on to that BYU rushing attack, which is really talented, if those guys are out or limited, what does the line look like? 
up front? Well, they've been moving guys like uh, I wrote about this this week. Uh, uh, Jacob Tuiati Mariner. I hope I'm saying that right. That's a, that's he, a great name. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's been the uh, uh, he's been Tom Bradley, the defensive coordinator, kind of described him as the putty guy. He's been basically plugging in at three of the four spots on the defensive line as 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 needed. Um, another guy who's been kind of moving around and plugging holes is Keyshawn Luther South. Um, and they, they've been good, but they're, you know, they're still kind of up and coming. You know, UCLA wants its veterans to be available and healthy um, to really do what it wants to do in stopping the run. And that BYU team is really talented on the ground. They have a dual threat quarterback in Taysom Hill. They have some talented running backs. So that, that really is the focus point again for UCLA going into this week. Yeah, there's some interesting stats. You know, people say that stats, can you can use them to bend a story any way you want, and it's probably true. But uh, Taysom Hill, uh, how's this for a stat? He, he's, his longest run is 39 yards, which is good. His longest pass through two games, 19 yards. I, I, I believe BYU is the only um, major college team to not have a, completed a pass of 20 yards or more in its first two games. So uh, that's going to be something that, uh, you know, I think game plan-wise, UCLA really needs to look at that and tailor itself accordingly because they really need to stack up against the run because it's been an issue to begin with. And if they don't address it uh, this week, it's going to be a bigger issue and could result in a loss. And that's not even like a option quarterback not throwing. He's, he's a, he has 42 completions. So he's just yeah. really, he's just throwing short passes. I mean, he's, yeah. And he had three interceptions last week too. So if they can make him a passer, it seems like they should be successful. Yeah. But, but he's kind of similar to Johnny Stanton from UNLV in the way that he can take off and run. So it's some, it seems like that's something they have to look out for. He's also 26 years old. So he's yeah. significantly older than yeah, a lot of players in the field. That's going to be an issue for, for UCLA across the board potentially is, you know, the, the, everybody talks about the, uh, the age and the maturity of BYU because of all these uh, kids who have been on the Mormon missions. Uh, it's not unusual to see guys in their mid to late 20s uh, for for – for BYU and, and Jim Moore talked about the the physicality of the team um, and that contributing to that because you know these guys have more time to get in the weight room and, and really develop their bodies and be you know mature men uh, to coming out and playing so you know that's always an edge for BYU in most games just just the age difference mm-hmm. and then then on the other side it seems like UCLA will have a little bit of a break in the first half you wrote about this earlier in the week three defensive backs will be out for for BYU in the first half? I mean, will you explain yes. that a little bit more? Uh, well, two of them were uh, essentially suspended for targeting in the, in the last game against Utah, uh, Kai Nakua and Austin McChesney. Uh, McChesney's not a huge loss because he's a freshman, um, and they can plug in you know guys just as experienced as him. But I, Kai Nakua is a huge loss. He's probably the, the kind of the heart of their defense. He's a safety who flies around and makes plays. I went back and watched uh, tape of the game last year, and he was just really impressive the way he was all over the field. Uh, making tackles in in the you know in the mix to get interceptions, so I wouldn't be surprised to see UCLA go to more of a pass heavy pass heavy attack early to kind of uh, you know exploit that weakness. They also have an, another cornerback who, who's going to be uh, out. Uh, I believe his name is uh, Tra- Tracy Warner, um, who's out with an injury. So that's th- mm-hmm. you're missing three guys from your secondary to start a game. Um, that's a big concern and something that UCLA I know. 
uh, is aware of and is going to key on. So someone had to remind you more of UCLA's last trip to Provo, and it was you. <laughs> it was. It that was, didn't go so well. <laughs> well, it was a 59 nothing loss. So yeah. what, do you, what do you have to say about that? Well, the, yeah, the, the funny thing is I don't think he cared if, if UCLA had won the game 59 to nothing. I think the point was this was – um, you know, eight years ago with a completely different team, completely different coach, completely different circumstances. Uh, and his point was that, uh, you know, he, he referenced UCLA losing 50 to nothing to USC. And then the next year, which was his first year, they went in and beat them. So, you know, it's one of those things where he doesn't think that the, the history is going to automatically repeat itself, which obviously it doesn't. But I just my point was that, you know, do you have to reference that and say this is what can happen if we're not ready? Uh, because that year they had beaten Tennessee in the opener and had all sorts of momentum and people were talking about how great they were and they went to Provo and just got whipped. So um, I think, you know, it's it, if I was coaching this team, I would bring it up. <laughs> Obviously I'm not. Uh, I don't think they'll hear about it unless they read my game preview where I have a little funny little anecdote about this. But uh, it's something to keep in mind. So that was UCLA's last trip. When was your last trip to Provo? Uh, my last trip, I believe, was 2001. I was visiting friends uh, in the area, and they had gone to BYU. So we went to see them play Nevada, which uh, not exactly a college football juggernaut matchup. But uh, I will say I was impressed with the atmosphere in the stadium. Uh, as we were talking before we started recording this, it's a little bit reminiscent of the Rose Bowl and the fact that it's got beautiful mountain range outside the stadium, uh, a nice setting for college football. And I look forward to it. But one of the things that's interesting is this is a 8.15, or I should say 8.21 p.m. local time kickoff, mm. which is just kind of nuts because, I mean, obviously it's TV-driven, but that's really late. And, and Jim Mora talked about how the players are going to have to adjust their game day schedule to kind of compensate for that. Um, you know, he doesn't want them just lying in their hotel rooms all day, just hanging out till four four thirty, and then getting on a bus and heading into the stadium. He wants them to be up and around, up and about. He said they, you know, they'd have like a breakfast, do like a walkthrough, uh, maybe mimic some some plays that they might see. But he does want them to be able to kind of stay loose. So they're going to, you know, watch some college football. He hopes that they they can kind of get mentally engaged by doing that, watching some games. But he doesn't want to get too keyed up going into this game. But you know, the game day schedule is going to be interesting. And, and another thing that uh, is interesting to note here is that BYU has a written policy forbidding play on Sundays. Did you know that? Wow. No, I didn't. Uh, but obviously, if the clock strikes midnight, they're not going to stop this game and say, no, we can't play. But uh, I, I think the point is that they don't want to start games on Sunday for religious reasons. But with an 821 kickoff on national TV, I think it's a good chance mm-hmm. that this game will stretch uh, past midnight local time. If, if BYU is running a lot, they might run the clock. But if UCLA is passing a lot, that, that could stop the clock if there's some incompletions. So you yes. could get up in that midnight range. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if we get there. So that kickoff time is right around dinner. A little, it's a late dinner, but I know I heard you were disappointed with the college station food at Texas yes. A&M. So you, do you have any expectations for the BYU spread? I, I do. I, you know, I went on radio in Salt Lake a few weeks ago. I think it was during training camp and uh, I was told to uh, prepare for Brazilian meats. Wow. So I am huh. interested to see uh, what, what that means? <laughs> yeah. I, I just that just kind of caught me off guard. Brazilian meats in Provo just don't. I don't know if you don't think of the two yeah. together, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what that entails. I was going to say like there's like southern barbecue. Like what's Utah's like known food? Come on, Brazilian meat. So you have something to look forward to there. Uh, let's get to a few updates of some guys who have been in some I guess unknown situations. So. Mike Juarez, am I saying yep. that correctly? Um, freshman, five-star linebacker, hasn't been with the team. Is there any update there? 
Well, you know, he kind of caused some interest this week when he tweeted uh, that he would be back. Um, so I asked Jim more about that, and it, it seems like, you know, that might be kind of hopeful, wishful thinking at this point. There's no definitive plan to bring him back, although, you know, I'd said last week that there was, and Jim had indicated there was a plan. Apparently there's nothing formalized as far as bringing him back. They obviously want him to come back. He's still considered a part of the team. Um, I guess the big question next week is, will he start classes? That'll be another big kind of uh, point that will tell us, you know, whether he's here to stay. Um, but, you know, he's working through some personal issues right now that are, that are, are seem to be pretty significant. Um, so no real timetable for his return. Uh, but I think the good news is that he's not, you know, off with another team already. And, you know, he's, he's with the team, but he's not playing, and it's considered an excused absence. So kind of status quo on that front. And then Nate Starks, is there any running back hasn't hasn't played? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, he's been what's been the equivalent of a two-game suspension for him. We don't know exactly what the backstory is there. Um, you know, we asked Jim about it this week in practice, and he – he said basically, if he if he was ready to go Saturday, he would be he would be able to play. So to me, uh, without expressly saying it, it sounds like uh, Nate Starks will make his season debut this week, which is big because if you go back and watch last year's uh, BYU game, he made the big runs on the game-winning touchdown drive for UCLA, mm-hmm. including scoring the touchdown. Um, this was on a team that had Paul Perkins, who's an NFL running back, and yet they went to Nate Starks as a freshman. And he carried them, literally carried them to victory. I think he had three or four really nice runs on that on that game-winning drive. So getting him back, you can't can't under, overstate how big that is. So now before we before we wrap this up, week one UCLA goes to Texas A&M. That's a tough SEC game. Week two you can't, you should win. So what's week three now? I mean, especially with Stanford looming, what do they need to do in this week? Like what 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 should be their goal in terms of you know what they need to do for the season right now? Well, they got to show up the run D. I mean, we, we, it's, it's become a little bit of a, a dead horse as far as we keep talking about it. But, um, you know, they either need to find a way schematically to apply more pressure and close those gaps, or obviously they need to get everybody back and be healthy. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's to me is the number one thing. This, this UCLA team will not be a major bowl team or contend uh, for the Pac-12 if they cannot stop the run better than they have. That's all we have, I think, on the Bear Facts, the best-named LA Times sports podcast. Uh, I'm Jesse Doherty, filling in for Lindsay Theory, who should be back next week. If you have any questions UCLA-related in the meantime, you can email Ben at ben.bolch at latimes.com or find him on Twitter at latbbolch. That's right. Is that correct? There you go. Ben will be at the game in Provo providing live updates. I'll be home on my couch also providing live updates. So we'll be, we'll be teaming from far away. Ben, any party message here? Uh, no. Have a good week and uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you filling in. All right. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. You know, like I said, a little, a little scared to fill in for Lindsay, but I, I think it went well. So that'll do it for the Bear Facts. We'll talk to you next week.